0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the first drive-through FM. This is going to be an audio and video podcast that I'm starting. It's going to be live on the YouTube channel as well as at the drive-through review audio feed. This is meant to be just listened to, but I will have kind of an enhanced podcast with pictures and things to kind of go along with the topic. Uh, recently, I've had some topics floating around in my head. Uh, specifically three, and the first one, as you can see, is called The Importance of Setting. And I'll get into this topic a little bit later, but I've kind of had in the back of my head to do more of a audio type of podcast here and there. I enjoy listening to The Secret Cabal, Rolling Dice and Taking Names, uh, several Warhammer podcasts, and so on and so forth. And so I thought I would give this a little bit of a shot and try to do something a little bit different. And kind of the catalyst for this was that I have basically five games that I sort of want to review, but I didn't really like enough to do a full video review about. Uh, so not, they aren't also necessarily games that I would blacklist. If you're familiar with my channel, uh, you might know that from time to time I'll do like a blacklist and kind of collect sort of the negative reviews all at once and kind of give maybe a two to five minute rundown of those games. Uh, there's probably a couple on this list that are sort of teetering on the blacklist, but I can find merit in some areas. So I thought I would just go through those. And it kind of will serve to drive home the importance of setting and why I'm kind of bringing that up here in terms of my perspective and, you know, my assessment of the games. But first, let's just jump into what has been going on, what I've been up to. And I'm going to keep these podcasts real short. I should mention probably in the 30 to 45 minute range. So I'm not going to belabor too much of what I've been playing. Just to kind of give you a little bit of a casual introduction, and then jump into the topic. And then I'll have kind of a little bonus topic at the end. So the first thing to note here is I've been playing a lot of Age of Sigmar, Warhammer Age of Sigmar. I've got a tournament upcoming this weekend from the time of this recording. It's going to be my first ever miniatures tournament. Uh, it's going to be my third ever uh, 2,000 point game. I've only played up to 1,000 points up until... Uh, a new friend of mine, Jacob, down at the shop locally, uh, he's been kind enough to kind of get me through my paces, get me through the ropes. You can see on the video side of this, I've got my Destruction Army, or a version of it, with uh, against his Tomb King slash Death Army. Uh, so I've had a lot of fun, of course, painting the miniatures, uh, getting them to the table, and really going for kind of the full experience of the game. Because the 2,000 point game is kind of your tournament standard. Uh, The 1,000-point game is very enjoyable, though, i found. I kind of like that one for different reasons versus the 2,000. You can get in there and and get quick. There's not too many shenanigans that you can do, but there's enough stuff on the field that you can do a little bit of the kind of combos and things, but it's not quite as overwhelming, and you don't really have, in Jacob's case, with the death, where he just kind of sometimes will build up and build up and just do massive amounts of damage, and there's a lot of other lists and builds uh, that will do tons of damage to you. Uh, so I've been enjoying, though, the 2,000 point games. I'm very excited to get up and play those games. I've even sort of mocked up like a little display board because this is one of the first tournaments locally uh, that is going to kind of do the full gamut, the full run. They're going to score for sportsmanship. They're going to score for paint jobs. They're going to score for presentation, all that kind of stuff. Uh, They've been running a lot of uh, tournaments last several months, and the community here has really started to build up. And there's more games that you can kind of play as a pickup. Uh, So if you're looking at the video again, you can see kind of pictures of my display board that I've mocked up to kind of go with my frosted-themed ogres. There's this uh, beast Claw, Stone Riders, and uh, Thunder Tusks, and Ice Giants, and frosty-looking ogres that I've kind of themed together. And so, it's been pretty fun. You know, a year ago, you would have not have told me, hey, you're going to be doing display boards for the miniatures that you've painted in a tournament. But it's a new experience. I'm a little bit nervous because of the competitive side of it, but I've talked to some of the more competitive folks, and they seem pretty easygoing. Generally, they're going to be competitive. They're going to be, you know, out to win. But they don't seem like jerks to me. So I think there's going to be an interesting tension, and this kind of will tie in with the theme of the overall show, between some of the other folks that I've met that are maybe a little bit more on the thematic side versus the other folks that are more in it for the tournament competition. And that's an interesting kind of balancing act, I think, that the community as a whole uh, has to digest. But I've had a lot of fun, you know, putting together the army, putting together the board, uh, kind of coming up with the theme and all that kind of stuff as well as trying to sort of at the same time optimize it again with the balance of competitive versus, you know, thematic and so on. And one other quick tidbit, I recently did a review for Walking Dead All War, and I stumbled across the Deep Cut Studio has these new sort of play mats that are divided up into six squares. So each of the squares can form sort of the playing area. I'm showing pictures again on the youtube podcast i'll put the uh, link to some of this stuff in the show notes as well as in the uh on the youtube description there uh they did a really cool mat and i've had a lot of fun with this game uh, recently after reviewing it and so i'm debating picking this up because it's kind of cool because you can kind of just combine uh, the different squares and build play like a bigger game or a smaller game and it's really kind of designed to do that uh, i will talk about one other game that i've been playing outside of this But it does dovetail and sort of go with uh, one of the games I'm going to talk about in sort of the five mini reviews. Uh, So let's just kind of jump into that. And again, the topic of this particular episode is going to be about the importance of setting. And I think what I'm trying to say with that is not necessarily the setting of the game, although that is also very important. It's also like the setting of where you're at, who you're with, what you're doing, what kind of environment you are at. Like, are you playing lunch games at work? Are you playing with your kids? Are you playing with your family? Are you playing in a tournament setting? Are you playing on a game night where you have a certain amount of block time? How much time do you have? And so that's very, very important when assessing a game in terms of uh, reviewing it, especially because you have to kind of take a step back and figure out, okay, you know, this experience really worked. This This experience didn't work at all. Was it the people I was with? Was it my mood? That kind of stuff. And the first game I want to talk about Uh, is the Rune Wars miniature game. Now, this is a new game from Fantasy Flight. It is a very much a competitor to Age of Sigmar 40k, that kind of idea of these more larger scale uh, war games with lots of miniatures on the table. Uh, A lot of them are going to be in trays. In this case, the game actually uses movement trays, and you have these templated movement arcs and things that are like X-Wing. So you spin up these dials, you tell it to move a certain amount and curve a certain amount. And then, you know, it'll go do its thing. And there's a kind of an initiative order, which works a little bit differently with X-Wing. X-Wing, you had kind of the pilot skill and you would go up the pilot skill and down the pilot skill based on movement and then attacks. This doesn't work quite like that. But at the end of the day, this one really had some good points that I want to talk about, but it also basically fell flat for me at the end of the day. Let's get the negative out of the way first. I was really trepidatious about the movement trays in general, uh, just because I hadn't played with something like that, it kind of looks weird on the table to my eyes because I'm normally playing like a skirmish game or Age of Sigmar, which is sort of a glorified war slash skirmish game where you can move the troops in different formations and bubble wrap them around maybe one of your bigger units for protection. You can do a lot of creative stuff with it. And I thought, ooh, maybe the trays, that's that's kind of stodgy and it's just everything's on a rails. Uh, but I actually, it wasn't really the trays that bothered me, but it was actually those movement templates. So when you pick a movement, you have to move that distance, and there's no question about it. And with some of the units to actually pivot and rotate and, and change the direction that you're heading, it's a little bit tricky depending on the unit that you have. And to me, that didn't feel very natural or very fun because you could get in a situation where maybe you moved just past an objective and you were like within an inch and there wasn't really good, you know, rules for that. You because you know, some of the Objectives you get, you got to like basically move right over it. And it's like, well, gosh, I'm really close here. Couldn't one of my guys just kind of reach out and grab it? And that really sort of thwarted the theme for me because, okay, yeah, you have to plan your movement in such a way. But to get it so minutely close like that, uh, I, I mean, I know we're talking miniatures. And, 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 you know, when you talk about like Age of Sigmar, when you have to make a charge roll and you just you lose it by an inch. And that's kind of part of the game to me. Uh, this one was a little bit different just because, like, you could stop your units. You don't have to move the full amount. You know, you could move up three, in other games, you move up three inches, and then you're like, yeah, maybe I'll do that. You know, you've got the full range of movement, but there's still some decision-making when it actually comes your turn to move. You can sort of tactically react to certain things. Uh, but the strict movement here is very much tied into the initiative order. Uh, because the turn structure is is very much like, you know, you activate certain units and certain actions will happen before others. So you may move, then I'll move, and then I'll get to move again. And then the next unit you picked maybe they do an attack or something. So that really kind of works well and is interesting. And I think because that's coupled, though, to how the movement works, you can't really have one without the other, which is unfortunate. Uh, now, they do do some nice things with the combat and getting rid of, like, the buckets of dice thing. Um I think that's overblown as a crappy mechanic. I don't think that's such a crappy mechanic, having played enough games of Age of Sigmar now and some other games like that. I think there's some merit there, and that's probably another discussion I can have. Uh, it's it's a very freeform mechanic, but they did a pretty decent job of sort of leaving that for for folks that don't like that with how you kind of resolve combat based on the formation of your units and how deep and long your trays are and all that kind of stuff. So that was pretty interesting. Uh, the miniatures and everything, the components are fantastic. I've been shown on the YouTube uh, pictures from Zorastro, uh, his paint jobs that he does. He is a YouTube painter. He does all kinds of different games on the side, mostly board games like Descent and everything. And he's done a great job sort of getting the lead out and painting some of these very early. He makes them look fantastic. They're great miniatures. Uh, there's also some folks I'm going to show pictures of here Uh, They have uh, sort of built 3D versions of the little 2D terrain that comes in the game, and they've done a fantastic job. The game does look fantastic uh, on the table, and I think a lot of folks that are new to miniatures will get a kick out of this. Uh, And if you're an X-Wing fan, you might still like it. Um, I think, you know, like I said, for me, the movement and everything, it really kind of goes against all the stuff that I really enjoy in other games. But the nice thing about this, in talking about setting is this is a brand new game. It's a somewhat familiar system. If you played Armada and things that you could get into, the component quality is high. Uh, Fantasy Flight has done a great job of putting out uh, how to paint instructional uh, PDFs and things. And, you know, they have kind of a deal, I guess, with Army painters, so you can get the right paints and everything. So it is a very cool way, I think, to get into miniatures if you're not into them at all. And then, you know, kind of make this your first miniatures game. You do get enough kind of variability in the box to uh, play around with a few of the different powers, although that would be one of my other knocks on it. I didn't find those powers very interesting, but it's also because the game is brand new. Like a lot of these other miniature games, there's like 15 different factions that you can choose from and a variety of crazy units and powers and things that you can sort of pull from to be very creative when you build your lists and build your armies. There's not that here, but the game is brand new, so you wouldn't expect that, obviously. But I think there's enough there for kind of a, a new game experience. You're going to get, you know, let's say 10 plays out of it at least and get yourself into and familiar with a uh, miniature game. So I think the game does have merit for that. And I think if you've not played miniature games, it's worth getting. Uh, you can, you got enough f- figures in the box to go two sides and then maybe grab a couple expansions if you enjoyed it. Um, so it does have merit. But from my perspective, as what I've started to enjoy with miniatures, yeah, it didn't really sink in at all. The next game I want to talk about is something completely different. That's Balloon Pop from Tasty Minstrel Game. And this is one I think is actually would be very, very fun with kids. It's kind of your roll and write game where you roll some balloons and you mark down the different colored balloons that you rolled. And then you can kind of do sort of a reverse Yahtzee one where you have to start adding dice uh, to your roll. And you have to be very careful because you don't want to roll the same balloon too many times or it'll pop. So as you're marking off the balloons that you roll, your score is going up and up and up and up. And then if you get to the top, it's going to pop and your score is going to drop pretty dramatically. Uh, so once somebody triggers a pop on their little sheet, then you're going to have to uh, stop the round and score. And once you've had three pops or three rounds, and then you score. My problem with the game is that it, those last two rounds are very anticlimactic uh, because usually you have like a pop, you know, maybe on that first turn. Uh, Definitely in the third round, it's just somebody's going to pop again. And then it just, it's not that interesting, but I can see with kids, it's a very cool introductory thing to probability chance, all that kind of cool stuff. You kind of just saw how the game is going to go and that's it. And so it's just, it's very pure, basic, simple chance and probability discovery, but doesn't really offer a whole lot, you know, beyond that. Now, the next game I'm going to talk about is Jiraku, and I want to review this game. It is coming out, I believe, later in the year by Tasty Minstrel Games. Uh, This is a game that is comes from Japan, and it's a very, very interesting trick-taker slash area control game. So you play these cards, you put out these cubes, and you control different areas, and it's a traditional trick-taking game. You're going to lead with suits, and you have certain cards that will maybe trump other cards from other suits. And based on the card that you play, you can push and move and add cubes to different areas of the board. And then the different areas are going to change over the different rounds and what they're going to be worth during scoring. Uh, This may be the best trick-taking game I've ever played. Uh, It's a fantastic game. I just wanted to mention this one because I I really want people to try this and and take a look at it. You can still find the Japanese copy around now. uh, But I believe they're going to do like a deluxe version of it at some point. Um, but this is one, again, I want to review, I want to talk about, but I don't have a copy myself. I just had a chance to finally play it in my group. And this is one that's really stuck around. I believe it came out almost two years ago or a year and a half ago. And we, have they, I should say, have been having a great time with it. I haven't had a chance to actually get a game of it in, but they, it, it keeps coming out and it had kind of gone away for a little bit because I think they played the heck out of it. And then they brought it. And I was like, man, I really need to try that because you guys have raved about it. And I got a chance to try it, and you know it was really, really fun and very, very interesting. And I'm one that really likes that trick-taking thing because uh, we can get this easily played at work, at a lunch hour. And trick-taking games are great for that. You can get them played in about 45 minutes or any kind of card game uh, like that. And I, I think card games, kind of getting back to the theme, are something that, you know, they sort of get overlooked in terms of Hey, you know, is it Blood Rage? Is it Rising Sun? Is it Star Wars Rebellion? You know, it's not that level of a game, but it's not supposed to be that level of a game. But a game like Jiraku, and we've been playing a lot again of, uh, The Dwarf King, which is a wacky trick-taking game from Bruna Fid- Duty, Those are excellent designs, and I believe, you know, the same amount of playtesting and effort and tweaking and feedback and iteration with testing, went into all of these kind of very excellent trick-taking card games and, you know, lighter games like Splendor is a game. I'm sure that went through extensive uh, feedback and playtesting. Uh, and so I think these games are just as amazing and mind-blowing and epic to me uh, as some of these other larger games. And I feel like sometimes as, as reviewers, and, and probably some other folks can relate to this just as people that play games and don't necessarily review them, that, you know, these other kinds of games get overlooked in favor of that big kind of blockbuster Hollywood-style game. Uh, but I think they are on that same playing field. Like, you probably wouldn't see jiraku make a top 100 list or be very high up a top 100 list. It would probably be, like, in the bottom 50, uh, you know. And I think that's, I mean, not all of them, but I think that's fine. But I think it's also something worth noting that, probably a game like Jiraku is going to be around in a 100 or 200 years. I'm serious here. And Star Wars Rebellion maybe wouldn't be. I could be wrong about that because that's a dang good game. And I'm sure Star Wars will be around in a 100 years as some kind of, you know, strange historical thing. But, you know, games like this, I think, will actually see possibly some more longevity uh far out into the future. You never know. Okay, so now we're coming to the fourth game that I want to talk about, and that's Shadow War Armageddon. And this is one that I think I'll I'll probably eventually review. We've got a big kind of game day for this plan next week. Uh, Four of us are going to get together. And I've painted up now three kill teams. Well, it's not fair. I had one already kind of painted up from a previous game, Death Watch Overkill. But I painted up two new ones and, uh, and just finished those. So I don't have pictures of the new ones, but I'll show pictures on the YouTube of my Gene Stealer cult. Uh, from Death Watch Overkill, if you've watched that review. And so four of us are going to get together. We're going to play. One of my buddies got some terrain. I've got some terrain. I've got some other terrain we can add. Uh, this one, I'm a little bit scared to review because you can't actually buy the physical box anymore. Uh, they sold out of the box, which had some miniatures in it and some terrain and the rule book and everything. You can go buy the rule book separately. You can buy the terrain separately. You can get any of these different factions separately. Um, so i basically be reviewing the rules, but I've reviewed you know miniature games before. But I haven't actually played this yet. <laughs> I've watched, I think, every single battle report on YouTube about it, and that's like at least a dozen, if not more. A lot of them from MiniWargaming.com and also uh, Gorilla Miniatures and I think a couple other folks, uh, Gaming with the Cooler and maybe some others that I just randomly came across. It looks really, really fun. It's basically a re-theme, rehash of Necromunda from earlier last decade and in the late 90s. Uh, very kind of a Dead Zone thing. If you've seen my review of Dead Zone, this is a little bit uh, more, I don't know, old school mechanics. A little bit more Trashy than Dead Zone, uh, but it looks pretty fun and uh, we're all excited to really give it a try, go into the campaign and the narrative side of it. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'm going to do some kind of review of it, I'm sure, at some point, once we've kind of played through a campaign, but it'll take some time uh, to get into it. You know, it took me a while to get actually to review Dead Zone and Frostgrave and Age of Sigmar. I know that was like, that's those are ones you kind of have to play like for a little while, like a couple of months, uh, just because you got to make an appointment to play it and get a time set aside and set up the table and all that stuff. So not like a euro you can just open the box and then you know you're then you're ready to play after you read the rules uh, but this is another thing I'm talking about setting here and my next topic next week not next week in a few weeks will be a uh, dogma in games um but this is something that I've had to overcome here uh because I you know played some trash games when I was younger hero quest dragon Lance, that kind of stuff and then I kind of got into Euros when they started to become more popular in the early 2000s in that time frame. And then didn't really look at miniature games because of the barrier to assemble and paint and all that. Um, and then also just kind of the general, I don't know, I would say somewhat false, but I've also seen some truth to this, just kind of the toxicity of of the... Community in a way, and I think that's mes- basically maybe one game in one community that there is some toxicity there. Uh, but I don't certainly think it's the majority of people that I've come across, but, uh, so I've had to kind of get over myself in a lot of ways with a lot of these things, uh, and just playing certain types of games. You know, I mean, even going back and playing like some, some Euros, I have to kind of get over myself based on, you know, my preconception of how certain players are going to be, how they're going to react. They're not going to be very fun you know, there's a lot of preconceptions that you have to get over yourself, and you have to get at the people that you're going to be playing with. I mean, the four of us are super excited. It's myself and two guys that used to play 40k. These are all guys that are kind of in my normal Thursday night group. They used to play 40k, had a, actually a terrible experience playing it. I mean, they had a lot of fun, but they also had a terrible experience playing at shops with people that were jerks. And, uh, and then another friend of mine who's kind of dabbled, and he Plays all kinds of different games. He's played in the Blood Bowl League for years. Um, and we're all excited. You know, they haven't played this type of game in a long time. I'm just kind of getting in new to it. And there's a couple other folks that are interested that have never had anything to do uh with miniature games. They've just been Euro Board Game Geek type people. Uh, but we're excited about it because we're buddies. We're getting together, we're gonna, you know, create a campaign and tell our own stories and laugh and have a good time. And that's really the essence of it. You know, if, if if these folks weren't here, then I would not be as excited about it as I am. And I know this isn't really a review of the game, but it that's the important part of it, is that I'm excited to, you know, have this day with them. I'm excited to try this new tournament thing out coming up this weekend. Uh, you know, I'm excited that we get a break at lunch, that we can play a trick-taking game like Jiraku and so on. I would be more excited if I was playing Rune Wars, if I was playing with somebody, maybe they didn't know miniature games, I would still play Rune Wars with somebody if they were like, you know, I lost my H of Sigmar stuff or didn't have it. I would say, okay, well, let's play with Rune Wars. And, you know, we can, you can kind of get into and get the feel of how a miniature game works and so on. And even with uh, Balloon Pop, you know, if I had some younger kids around, I would certainly play that. We got, we played the hack out of uh, Martian Dice, uh, which is, which I like better than Balloon Pop, but you know, that's not that great of a game either, but it kind of fits in that same sort of uh, genre and everything. Now the last kind of review here, and this dovetails into a game that I am going to review. Actually, the review should be coming out the same week as this. Uh, this one is Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective. And I'm going to be reviewing kind of its sister or cousin game, uh, Watson and Holmes. Now, I've tried to play Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective twice now, and I cannot get into it. And I feel like a bad person because I can't get into it. Uh, we we tried it twice, and it's just, there's like too much reading, basically. And I don't want to say that because I don't mind like reading and, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. Like, I love to read. I'm, I love reading books. i am always got books or comic books that I'm reading. I love reading, reading rules. But there's something about this Situation or this setting that I just can't get myself into. I feel like I don't want to play this with other people. I want to play it solo. And I've sat down to try to play it solo, but it's just, it, I don't know. I just, when I'm doing it, I'm like, I want to be playing a game with people now. I don't want to be doing this by myself. I'd rather be reading a RPG book or something. I feel like, you know, I'd rather be reading some other kind of story. It's very, very strange because I feel like this is a game I should like. But it feels like homework. Like I'm just trying to, you know, draw these different clues together. And I think maybe, you know, I'm one of a few people that d- just doesn't enjoy this game and I can't figure out why. I feel like a bad person. <laughs> like I said, I'm like, I feel like this should be a great experience to get together. Now I do like, like some of the escape room games. Had a fantastic time playing a couple of those with my family. And I like doing escape rooms in general. And maybe because there's a little bit more sort of tactic, tactile, uh, visual type of things. There's different kinds of puzzles and clues that you can put together. And this isn't so much like just fishing out red herrings. Now, one thing I hate about escape rooms is if there's too many red herrings, you're like, okay, this must be a clue to go down this path, da-da-da-da-da, and it turns into be just a complete waste of time and a dead end. And it's like, yeah, that's kind of realistic, but it's also kind of annoying to me. I don't know, I have a special penchant for annoyance when it comes to that. Now, the sister game, uh, Watson and Holmes, is basically the same game as this. Now, you don't have newspapers and, 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 uh, the book where you, you know, you look up the addresses of the people and the little, you know, storybook entry kind of thing. It doesn't have that. It has just a bunch of cards and you do worker placement, but you're playing it competitively. So in a sense, there's more of a built-in player-to-player timer of who can figure this out first. And that really has added a lot of enjoyment to it. And there's also a little bit of bluffing because after you've gone and investigated a location and there's some cards there and you're like, okay, yeah, oh, there was nothing on that card that was worthless. And then people are like, yeah, you're full of it. And they go to check out the card. That added player interaction and that heat that comes from the competition of trying to be, (laughs) this is going to be funny, the smartest one, you know, the first one to figure it out is really, really cool. Now, saying that, I'm also terrible at both of the games <laughs> so maybe that's part of why I don't really like the Sherlock Holmes consulting detective but even I played just the two cases in the other one uh, that one even though like the first case i I look at every single every single card and I still couldn't figure out what the well I got let's see one I got like one and a half of the questions right because in the in Watson and Holmes you have three questions and you have to say, you know, who did this? How did they do this thing? And XYZ and answered like one and a half questions, but not completely. And the third one, I was just like completely way off on. And I'm like, man, I read every single card and I still didn't get that. Um, so I'm not very good at these games. So they're take that this kind of with a grain of salt, but there's something that for me about the change in setting between Sherlock Holmes consulting detective and Watson and Holmes. Where you have that player interaction, the player competition, the deduction, the bluffing of not just the clues, but of each other and how everybody's reacting. That just elevates the game for me uh, in in that way. And I think I just want to kind of close out the topic with that idea of setting, is is that the other players are so, so, so important. And it really kind of to me transcends uh the review of of the game. I mean, unlike any kind of other art form or media, you've got movies, music, television, you know, whatever, comic books, you know, paintings. None of the other people that you may be viewing or listening to that with matter as much as if when you're playing a game, because you really need everybody again to have a good attitude. They got to be into it. You know, all that kind of stuff has to kick in and click in. And that's so, so important. So it's hard to actually review these things in isolation as you might. Now, nothing you review in isolation because if you listen to an album and you were to review that album compared to other albums, I mean, you, you, nothing is in a vacuum. Now, just kind of a insight into me is, I mean, I literally never read album reviews or music reviews ever. I rarely do it with music, movie reviews. Uh, Sometimes I will watch like Angry Joe Show and uh, Emergency Awesome on YouTube, but not so much from the sense of like, I'm going to, you know, watch it to get a review. It's always after I've seen the movie, not beforehand. I I wouldn't say always, you know, 100% of the time is always hard to achieve, but 90% of the time I'm not going to watch a review before the movie. And I'm just going to go see if they maybe picked out some of the certain plot lines and stuff. Like if I didn't like the movie, I might scan the review and not really care what they say. But it doesn't really impact me at all. I'm not that really interested in what they have to say. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's a very selfish viewing of a review for me. Uh, so, but with games though, I do find myself picking up other people's reviews and stuff. And maybe that's just because I'm more into games than movies, you know, that kind of thing. But there's just a lot of sort of wheat that you have to sort of chafe away to really get at what makes the game good and what, what, what gives it merit and everything. And I think obviously the designers, they go into that knowing what kind of setting these games are going to uh, be best in and how they're going to work best. But it's a very, very tricky thing a lot of times because you don't really know. You get a, you get a game. like A lot of times I just get a game in the mail these days, and it just shows up. And I'm like, okay, so who should I play this with? And I have to kind of deduce what kind of group this would work with. You know, like let's say we you know Martian Dice, for example, just off the top of my head actually. You know, it's, we played that in a game group and enjoyed it fine enough. But it's not the kind of game where they really got into it too much. But like Exploding Kittens, which is another one, which is a better example, uh, you know, my lunch group, we really have enjoyed that. It's a stupid, silly game. Uh, but taking that to a game night situation, I don't even know so much that it's the, the guys and, and girls in my group, uh, because none of them really liked it. I think some kind of liked it, but there was not a lot of good reception to that. And I don't think that's, a, that's just because of them. I think it also something to do with kind of the game night situation. Because you're, you're game night. You want to play that big epic game, or at least a game, you know, on the level of Jiraku or something. You don't want to just waste your time. But if you already are wasting your time at lunch, at work, where you don't really have anything to do except for chit-chat, which is good. But you can kind of do this sort of secondary activity that complements, you know, talking about, not the news, but anything but the news or whatever else. You know, that's a good, it it serves its purpose there. And I think that's still okay. It still has merit, still has value. There's no reason to compare Exploding Kittens to Sherlock Holmes, Consulting Detective, or Star Wars Rebellion. It still has a purpose. The game, I, you know, I want to stress this, it still has value, it still succeeds. It's a, it's a success at the setting that it was designed for. Anyway, so that kind of just sums up the topic. Exploding Kittens is good. <laughs> All right. So the last little thing I'm going to try to do is talk about some kind of pop culture, geeky, random thing, basically. Uh, And so I'm just going to talk about The Expanse. I've been watching, I watched the first season to finish that. I'm going to hopefully start the second season soon. There is a board game version coming out, I believe this summer, maybe at Origins. I'm very interested now to check out. And that's part of the reason that I started watching the show. I've heard a lot of good buzz and feedback from friends and stuff that said The Expanse is really good. And it's kind of like not your everyday sci-fi, and I will say that's that's for sure, that's true. Uh, I will say I have enjoyed the first season. Uh, the first season was a little bit of a letdown at the end. I'm not going to do any spoilers here, uh, but it still keeps me very very interested into uh, the second season to see where some of the characters go, and you know see where their overall plot goes. I will say I wish that the show wasn't quite as plot heavy as it is. Uh, some of the different characters are there. Like there's a sort of a, a policeman, and there's the one kind of miner. So he seems like the main character. He's like a, a space miner type of thing. Uh, those two folks seem like uh, very very strong characters. And some of the policeman and his uh, his friends, and some of the underworld folks he has to deal with, and then the miner and kind of his group of people uh, that are with him uh, throughout some of the events that happen. Those are really those are you know there's some interesting characters there. But some of the political figures and some of the uh, counter-political figures, I'll, I'll just mention it that way, uh, are not interesting to me. Those parts of the story that are just kind of served to move the plot and the political machinations and stuff. Eh, I mean, they're kind of trite, I gotta say. And some of the dialogue's very like, oh, I knew they were going to say that about a second before they said it. But the special effects are pretty good for TV. The special effects in what they choose to... Uh, show i think is cool like because they show how gravity works and space travel and they kind of get in sort of the gritty realism of all that and that's really neat i definitely recommend the show give give the first season a watch it's a little bit dark um it's a little bit gruesome so you know just know that going in but i'm definitely now interested in uh, playing the game and I'm i think the game is going to sort of cover season one and season two because at the end of season one, you kind of don't know who's doing what exactly in terms of the main plot. So I feel like that maybe this, this must cover season two, uh, based on the mechanics and stuff that I've read. It's sort of like a multiplayer Twilight struggle kind of thing with card play and area control. So I think you, you need more of a defined, uh, antagonist in some ways, uh, to actually play the game. Maybe not though. So I'll be curious what, how far along uh, the Expanse actually covers when the, when the game comes along. So anyway, that was the first of hopefully uh, many kind of podcasts. And I hope folks enjoy it on YouTube and they enjoy listening to it, you know, on the audio feed. Uh, definitely leave any feedback that you've got. I am um, thought, you know, a few ways of doing this, you know, just having me talk probably isn't the greatest thing because the best thing about podcasts is the banter. But that's obviously difficult for me, and I do do the live hangouts with folks from time to time, and I'll kind of just leave that over there. This gives me another way to kind of express some of the stuff that I've sort of done video blogs about before, I think in a little bit easier way. I can kind of edit it and stuff, which you won't even notice that I've been doing. It's just a little bit easier to edit with just the audio. And I can still supplement it for the folks on YouTube that you know wants a couple of pictures to look at, and maybe folks can listen to it and go back and look at the pictures later. But it's not to say that I won't have guests on at all, but I'd like to keep the audio decent quality. And that's sometimes that's hard with remote guests. And uh, and let me know what you think about it. I'm just going to stuff this in the same drive through review audio feed. That it means if you're subscribing just for this, though, you're going to get all of the audio reviews in your feed as well. So if you're subscribing, like, on iTunes or your phone, you're going to get those downloaded. And I usually do, you know, one to two a week. Uh, so maybe you don't want those. Maybe you just want to watch those on YouTube and not get the audio. I know there's about almost 600 subscribers to the feed now and they just <laughs> seem to want the audio which I can kind of understand I still I, I don't know exactly because when I'm making the video I'm, I'm not always cognizant that I'm not visual to everybody that will end up be watching because I'm you know I am making it for video first of all uh, but you can sort of scan forward to just the review portion with that uh, but I, I don't also don't want to like have stuff everywhere. We're like, we're, you know, we go to subscribe to this audio feed to get this, and this audio feed to get that, and I don't know. So I just, I'm just going to put it all in the same feed. And uh, if there's a good argument not to do that, then I may move it. Uh, but anyway, thanks for listening, and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, I'll do another one of these in a couple of weeks. I'll try to do them like once a month, I think. And uh, you know, I this gives me time to make a little bit of notes, add some games and some examples and stuff, and sort of just slowly build the topic up. And just gives me kind of another outlet to sort of vent or rant or just, you know, yip-yap yip, about uh certain topics that I think are probably more easily just done over audio and not necessarily like built into a top 10 list or, you know, some other kind of video blog kind of thing where I'm just trying to add visual video stuff that doesn't really have a place. This is just stuff to listen to in your car or while you're sitting up to at work and just, you know, chill and think about and... If you've got feedback on what I said, absolutely. And, you know, otherwise just take it, internalize it and, uh, go about your, the rest of your day. (laughs) Okay. Thanks for listening.